good morning, everyone. My name is Neil, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Edge, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. I am really excited to continue in this brand new sermon series out of the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. I hope you had a chance to see Pastor Steve's message last week. If you didn't, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and, and catch up on it pretty quickly. Um, I truly do believe that this series has the chance to really, uh, really, really impact your life if, if you allow it to. And here's what I mean by that. In my experience, pastors either really love to preach from the Old Testament or avoid it at all costs. And let me just take a second to explain that. Most of the time when pastors enjoy preaching from the Old Testament, it's because the Old Testament is so story-driven, and we can see characters, and we can relate them to us, and, and we can sort of look at their lives, and we draw all sorts of life-based conclusions on their choices and the consequences of their actions based on particular characters. And in one sense, that's okay, because the truth is, in life, when we do certain things, there are consequences consequences for those actions or the inactions that we choose. But the danger tends to be that as pastors, um, if we aren't careful, we fail to lead our congregations to the main point of the entire collection of books known as the Old Testament. And then for pastors who don't like to preach from the Old Testament, it's usually because they say things like, well, the Old Testament's obsolete. That's, we're in New Testament times now, so Jesus made the Old Testament obsolete. And the reality is uh, when we trend in either direction, we're actually not, um, we're, we're not uh, grabbing hold of the full reality of what's true about God and Scripture. We're missing out on depth and richness that comes from the whole of Scripture. The point of the Old Testament and the New Testament is really the same, that Jesus Christ is the Savior who was being revealed uh, on the way in the Old Testament, and that Jesus Christ is the fully revealed Savior in the New Testament. Really, it's, it's this simple. The Old Testament was a look forward to the, the Jesus who was to come, and the New Testament is a look back at the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's be really careful as we go through this book of Malachi and we don't just become more religious people. Let's also make sure that we never negate the huge value of the Old Testament, which remember has always been about looking forward to Jesus who is coming and one day would live with his people and, and show them a brand new way to live and return. He would die for them and then return from the dead. That is, that's an amazing, amazing thing. The Apostle Paul says this about Jesus. This is really the, the message of the gospel. It is by grace you've been saved. It's Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Let's take just a minute to pray, and then we're going to get into our passage today. Father, I, I give thanks for the whole of Scripture, and particularly today, Lord, I thank you for the book of Malachi. Um, you had a lot to say to your people in Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. Lord, I pray that you would bring it to life to us today um, in a powerful way so we can apply it to our lives, but always remembering the point of all of Scripture is to point our lives to the person of Jesus, not to make us good people, but to make us people who are alive. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. 
Okay, we're going to read, uh, starting with Malachi uh, chapter 1 and verse 6, we're going to go all the way to Malachi chapter 2, verse 9. So it's a lot of scripture. Uh, I'm going to read the entire passage today because I think so few people are familiar with it. It's really, really important to familiar, familiarize ourselves with the text. So remember, God is speaking here. And it says, A son, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you offer lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that uh, one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets, and every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible, and you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, he continues, it says, And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from the festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I've sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi, Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him. This called for reverence and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have caused, you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. So maybe just like last week, you're sort of like hearing this and you're like, whoa, why such a gloomy message? What's the deal with the prophets of God in the Bible? Can't we just add in some sunshine and unicorns? I know some of you are thinking that. Well, here's what we have to remember in the context of the Bible. The prophets of God were tasked by God to bring hard truth to his people. 
But it's essential for us in hearing hard truths that we don't just wallow around in shame. We have to look at the, uh, the critique that God has for his people, for us, in light of his love that he carries for us too. The witness of scripture. All of scripture is God's love and pursuit of us. All the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation. For God so loved the world. That's John 3.16. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. We know this, right? That's what parents do. Just like good parents, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes love doesn't feel very loving from God. But God addresses the things that need to be addressed in our lives. It's not for the purpose of punishing us, but because God's love is holy and it compels him to address things in us that aren't good and right and good for our relationship with him. And in light of that, as Pastor Steve pointed out last week, some of the very first words of God through the prophet Malachi are about love. I have loved you, says the Lord. He starts, he starts out with love. Doesn't that remind you uh, of when you were a kid? And your, your, your mom or dad was going to come and punish you for something. Usually, like for me, it was a, like my dad would come in and say, ah, I'm going to have to spank you. Now, the reality was my dad did not love to spank me. But every now and then, he'd have to come in my room and he'd say, I'm going to have to spank you. And Neil, I have to tell you this. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I always thought like, yeah, right. I knew not to say that in the moment. But inside, I'm like, um, dad, you got to be kidding me. Of course, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. But when you're a parent and you're on the other side of that as the adult, I think you start to understand it a little more. Because even a halfway decent parent doesn't get joy out of punishing their children. But we correct their children. It's not with a heart to hurt them, but it's with a heart that is for them and, 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 and wants them to, to do the best that they can and, and receive the best that they can so you can have a good relationship with them. So throughout Malachi, when you hear all sorts of things that sound really harsh, some of them really are. Some of these are really hard things to hear. Let's always keep the love of God before us because it really is. Even though we're going to hear some things that are hard, some heavy, heavy, heavy critique. A little history with Malachi. Malachi was written 400 years before the birth of Christ. And when we talk about the priests in Malachi, um, there were only certain people who were qualified, according to the Old Testament, to be spiritual leaders of God's people. And they all came from one tribe, the tribe of, of Levi. And Levi was one of the sons of Jacob. So it was his family line that was chosen by God to be the priests, the ones who were in charge of the, the sacrifices and religious duties in the temple. But just like in today's culture, um, just being a religious leader did not necessarily make a person in charge of all the spiritual duties good, and it didn't mean they were going to make all the right choices. And that's exactly what today's reading is all about. But before we get into those specifics, it's really, really important for us to recognize that while there was a significant delineation between the priestly class and the rest of the people in Malachi, and also in the rest of the Old Testament, and the New Testament and the way that, that God looks at us today, um, and all the way into the future, this, this is hu the human experience on this side of the cross, um, the difference between spiritual leaders of a congregation and the congregants is far less significant because Christ died for all of us. 
we have all received forgiveness from him. And we believe that as believers in Jesus Christ, we've become part of what God calls the royal priesthood of believers forever. And that is not just pastors and priests. It's all of us who have the spirit of God living inside us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, As you come to him, referring to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So let's talk about a few things that I believe that God would have us take from this passage today. And here's the first. How we worship God matters as much or even more than if we choose to worship him at all. Let me say that again. How we worship God matters as much or even more than if we choose to worship him at all. That might sound extreme. You're like, oh, shouldn't any worship be good enough? Well, it's not. It's not. So bear with me. What are the complaints that God had about the priest? There, there are three basic complaints, okay? It can be summed up in, in Malachi chapter 1, in, in the first part of the passage that I read. Three things. The priests had a lack of respect. They did not offer acceptable sacrifices. And they, um, they practiced in deceit. So they, they, were, they were doing things that were dishonest. Okay, so God was angry with these priests. God was angry with these priests who were supposed to follow the rules of God uh, that were born from uh, a personal desire to follow the God who had loved them first. Like they had a deep knowledge of what this love was all about. So because they'd received love from God, they were supposed to do the right things based on this love that they had from God and for him. But, but somewhere along the way, these particular priests had become careless and nonchalant, pretty unmoved in their hearts, kind of like hard-hearted and duplicitous in how they offered worship and sacrifices to God. Now, in this particular context, the priests were in charge of the process of sacrificing animals to God and, and uh, that the people in their charge, the congregation, would bring to them. And it sounds like in some of the cases, the people were offering less than their best animals to the priests to sacrifice. And in some cases, the priests were keeping the best animals for themselves and sacrificing the less valuable ones. In either case, in both cases, the Lord was upset with the priests and with the people, but he put a heavy burden and responsibility on the priests for neglecting their duties uh, because he ultimately blamed the priests for failing to lead the people well. And because they failed to lead the people well, the people didn't revere God the way they were supposed to. Uh, the author Simon Sinek says, so goes the leader, so goes the culture. I think that's true. You look in, you look in, in corporate life and, and also in churches, so goes the leader, so goes the culture. It means that people tend to do what they see the leaders do. And in this case, the priests weren't leading well at all. So the people were failing to follow God well also. So what does that look like for us today? Because uh, it's certainly not going to involve animal sacrifices. And we know that because we're on the other side of the cross. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And his death and resurrection ended the sacrificial system. 
So it was all done for, for those of us who are Christians. We are not under the law, so we don't have to do those physical sacrifices. Let me start by saying what I believe it means for me as a pastor here at The Edge. As a pastor, I firmly believe that if I'm not teaching from the Bible, I am failing the church and disappointing God. But as important as teaching is, I also need to be living out those teachings because we can know things and then not do them, and that makes us poor leaders. If I don't live out the teachings of God, I'm also letting you down, and of course God too. And because uh, on this side of the cross, in the New Testament, that's all of us today, all of us who are believers today, there's a responsibility for you to also live that out because you're part of the royal priesthood of believers. So what does that look like for you uh, to, to offer spiritual sacrifices that it talks about in 1 Peter? What does that mean? Well, Paul tells us really simply in Romans 12 verse 1, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In other words, what he's saying is, look at, at what God has offered you, his grace and mercy. He loves you. And because of that, you are to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, it's interesting. So, um, the, in the original Greek, the, the word for urge, where it says, I urge you, brothers, it's a very strong word, and it, uh, the Greek word is parakaleo. It has two meanings. The first is the picture of, of someone uh, coming to you and pleading with the person to do something that is very, very important. And the other comes from military terminology, and it's the picture of a military commander addressing his troops who are about to go into battle. So, so together we get this dual picture of the seriousness of God's charge uh, through the Apostle Paul for us to offer, uh, offer up ourselves, our lives, as what he calls living sacrifices. Now, I think the, the, the phrase living sacrifice is meant to be a little bit confusing. It's, it's, it's supposed to make us pause and say, wait a second, by definition, you can't be alive and sacrificed at the same time. Sacrifices are dead or they become dead, right? So Paul is really telling us what? He is saying that God wants us to purposefully and intentionally lay our lives down. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means our minds, our bodies, our wills, our everything. Everything that we have is the Lord's and it's for God and it's for his purposes more than our own. So let me ask you a few questions. Is what you think about honoring to God? Is what you do with your time honoring to God? Is what you feed your body honoring to God? Is how you treat your spouse or your kids or your friends honoring to God? Is how you spend your money honoring to God? Is how you speak honoring to God? Are your habits honoring to God? Is what you watch on Netflix honoring to God? Is how much alcohol you drink honoring to God? Are you bringing your full heart when you sing to God at church? How about when you give to God's work? or when you read the Bible, or when you show up to serve in the church or in the community as one of God's representatives. The list could be endless, right? You probably have other things that popped up in your mind at the same time because our lives are complex and they are made up of all sorts of decisions that we have to make every day as we choose how we're going to live. So we will predominantly either choose to live for ourselves 
or we will live for the one who saved us from ourselves. Here's our second point today. When we fail to take seriously what God has said, then our worship is not actually worship to him. I'll say it again. When we fail to take seriously what God has said, then our worship is not actually worship to him. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. So, wow, that's what he's saying is, you might as well just close the doors of your church if you do this wrong. If your heart isn't in the right place, if, if your desire isn't to, to honor God and to worship him, you might as well just close your church doors because you're doing more damage than good. And don't even worry about an offering. I won't even accept it. What is this telling us? God was angry. He was angry at how the priests and the people were approaching him. And he's saying, listen, if that's all you have, if that's, if that's what your heart is towards me, then just close it down now. You're not really a temple. You're not really a church if that's what you're going to do. You're just deciding to pretend to worship me when what you're really doing is benefiting yourself. You're making it about you and not about God. What would it be like for you if when you got married, after you had your honeymoon, your spouse looks at you one day and says, hey, this is really great, but I've made a decision that I'm only going to live with you two weeks out of the month. I really kind of want to do my own thing sometimes still, okay, just to let you know. How would that land with you? I don't know. Like, I'm guessing you'd probably say, wait a second, that's not what marriage is. Marriage is a blending of lives. Yeah, there, there's room for you to be an independent person still and to make some of your own choices, but it's not about living out of independence. It's about interdependence. It's about coming together. And it's two becoming one and, and, and blending your lives and doing all the things that you do when you're married. It's not marriage if you're always apart. Part of marriage is actually being together. But, but then your spouse says, but that's not how I want to do it. So what would you do then? You probably wouldn't want to stay married. I'm guessing that most of you wouldn't tolerate that for very long. Just because you call a, a relationship marriage doesn't actually mean that it really is one, does it? Then think about our relationship to God. If that's how seriously we take our human relationships called marriage, how much more serious is, is what we bring to God? He is our maker. It's how he defines it, not how we want it. James chapter 1, verse 22, I think sums it up very, very nicely. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So, so guys, this is God's word and we are his creations living in his world. Let's not get this twisted up and make it more about us than it is. This is his story and we are playing a role in it. Let's not be people who become deceived. Here's our final idea today. There are consequences to disobedience. There are consequences to disobedience. In Malachi chapter 2, we see that God takes the, the sin of the priest extremely seriously. And he says some things that sound kind of scary and harsh, right? He promises to send a curse on them if they persist in wrongdoing. He actually says, I will curse your blessings. Gosh, that's, I mean, that sounds scary. 
And then he goes so far as to say, in essence, he's going to smear their faces in animal dung if they continue to offer God this half-hearted style of worship. Why is this so serious to God? Why, why is this so serious? I, I'm guessing that if you're just a normal person who, who reads this, may, maybe, maybe, some, maybe, maybe you're reading this today and you're like, I, just, I don't get why this is so serious. If we're being honest, though, I would bet that most of us have been offended enough by someone's actions that we've wanted to punish them before, or at least see them punished. And we are humans, just like those who have wronged us in one way or another. How much more treasonous is it for us, the creation of God, to rebel against him and not offer him what he says he deserves and wants from us? The created and extremely imperfect ones, right? Even if you don't love the idea that you're a sinner, you'll admit certainly that you do things wrong. And I would guess that when you think about the reality is that you're created and you are imperfect, uh, we're turning away from the one who we owe everything to, including our worship. We must take that more seriously, right? We must take that more seriously. And just like priests in the time of Malachi and for pastors today, God will hold us. He'll hold me more responsible for wrong teaching and worship to a greater degree than even the average person in a church. Why is that? James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why is that? Because people who teach what God says are the ones that, that shape what a, a particular congregation tends to believe. We're the ones carrying the message of God. These aren't our words. Steve said this recently. These aren't our teachings. These are the Lord's teachings. And he takes his word seriously, and he wants his children to know the truth. So pastors and priests, we are called to be faithful to teach the word. But this principle is not just for priests and, of yesterday and pastors of today. It's a warning for all believers in Jesus. Remember, we're part of the royal priesthood. Galatians chapter 6, verse, verses 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit they'll reap eternal life. But with all of these challenging and potentially convicting teachings from the Lord, even just from today, know that just as we started with his love, we must end with it too. God's heart has always been to be close to us, not to keep us away. And, and he wants us to become the people that he always intended for us to be. I'm going to close with Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. John says, yet I hold this against you. He's speaking the words of God. He says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. All you ever have to do, if you know today that God is convicting you of, of how you've offered worship to him, just turn back to him. Remember who he is. He loves you, he's good, and he's for you, and he'll never turn you away. I'm going to leave you with a few questions to consider today in your house churches or however you gather this week, and then we're going to close with worship. But here's the first question. 
We've all taken our relationship with God for granted at some point. What is God saying to you today that you know he wants you to be more intentional about? The second question is, it's really about sharing. Share a time that you experienced the consequences of your own spiritual neglect or your outright disobedience. And finally, this is really a challenge for your house churches. Take time to pray for hearts that truly want to worship God in the way that's acceptable to him. May God bless you, and we'll see you next week.